You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. What an awesome job our worship team did this morning. Amen. Amen. It was just so good. Praise the Lord. I love that, that third song. Such a classic. I saw that on the list. I was like, oh, man, we're, we're throwing it back here. I like it as I uh, unlock my iPad here. Uh, been, a, been a crazy week here. If you were here, uh, you might have uh, noticed Thursday and Friday we hosted the Waves Conference here at Banner Church. And uh, honestly, it was just awesome. We had uh, people from all over the country here gathered together, uh, being encouraged and inspired about how to reach their communities with the love of Jesus. And we had great speakers, a lot of people who... Uh, you may have known if you've been to Unite Phoenix at all, you might have met those people. And so I love that. I love like making connections with people who, who lead those kind of ministries. And it was honestly so exciting. And one of the things I've just been reflecting the past couple weeks, especially around this series, is how thankful that we, Katie and myself, the pastors here, are thankful for you guys. Because honestly, it is a blessing to pastor this church. Uh, it is a blessing to lead and, and to walk in this ministry and to see the fruit of what God is doing. Amen. And if you're new here, I just want you to know that God is moving uh, in this church and God is moving in this city because of this church. And man, the future is so bright. Amen. Amen. But uh, I, I'm excited to continue our way or our waves. Wow, sorry. You can tell where my mind is. I'm excited to continue. Our series called The Joy of Living Thankful. The Joy of Living Thankful. Last week I spoke about uh, God's goodness and the joy of living thankful and how we focus on God's goodness. And it was a, it was a fun morning. I, I won't go back to that idea, but I encourage you, uh, go online, check it out, download it, share it, all those kinds of things. Go on, you know, iTunes, whatever, spot, it's on Spotify, you can go there. Uh, but after that, after that sermon, I went with our young uh, college group, and we went to America's Tacos right up the street. And so I parked my car in a city parking lot, and when, uh, and when I came back from hanging out with our college group, I don't know if you know this, we got some awesome college students here. It's honestly a blessing. I was saying in the first service that I know there's all these thoughts about the next generation and what they can and can't do, but I got to say after hanging out with these college students, the future is so bright, at least the ones I know. I'm very excited about what God is going to do uh, in the business field, what God is going to do in uh, ministry, what God is going to do around the world because of these awesome young people. Uh, if you're in college and you want to come hang out with us, I, I would love to encourage your life because that that's one of my favorite things to do because I know that God has a plan and purpose. But anyways, we went to tacos. We bought all the college kid tacos. If you want free tacos, uh, we, we came back and I, I go to get in my truck and I and it was hot or, you know, hot-ish. It was cold for here, but it was hot for everywhere else. And I leaned into my car, and I turned on uh, my, my truck. I have this 05 Dodge truck, and it's got a Hemi in it, so sometimes when it fires up, you know, it's got a little oomph to it. But I fired up this time. I was on the phone with our small group director, Gillian, talking about uh, her actually borrowing the truck to pick up some supplies. I fire up the truck, and it's just like, like so loud. Scared me half to death. I immediately turn it off. I'm like trying to carry on a conversation with Gillian and also be traumatized in the depths of my soul over here. I don't know if you ever try to do that, and the person you're on the phone with realizes you're not even paying attention to them. And so she goes, why don't you just go deal with that? And I'm like, okay, great. I hang up. I, I'm 
like firing it up again. I just been to the NASCAR races, and literally, it sounds like a, a flipping NASCAR car. Na, a, na, a NASCAR, I don't know, whatever, whatever. What's the plural of NASCARs? It sounds like a singular stock car. Thank you. A stock car. Uh, is firing up, and so I lean in again. I fire it up, and when I fire it up, I feel air because I'm leaning in come out from the driver's side at my feet. I'm like, well, that's weird because it's never done that before, and this truck's 16 years old. So I get under my car, and what I realize is that someone out of the good graciousness of their heart decided that they would remove for me my catalytic converter. <laughs> uh, some of you are like, what's a catalytic converter? It's the thing right before the plug for your emissions, right? It's important for, you know, filtering things out. The government makes us have it so our cars don't sound cool. Um, <laughs> and so they blessed me by uh, not just cutting once or twice to remove it, but by going to the back and trying to cut and then cutting again. And I don't know how nobody heard this. This was at 1.30 in Scottsdale. People, we got to start paying attention <laughs> Uh, they cut it again and then again, and then they cut into the sensor because they didn't know how to get the sensor out. So then they finally got it out. And so I, I'm just like, what? Like, what is happening, right? And I'm trying to be positive because, like, as I'm assessing the situation, some of our team rolls up from having gone to lunch, and I'm, like, in that headspace, like, okay, Josh, you just preached the message on thankfulness. Can't be losing it right now. <laughs> it's not going to preach, right? <laughs> And so I'm like, really? You know, you ever had that conversation? Like, really, really, God? Like, you can just give me like an hour and a half? <laughs> like, an hour and a half to not have to deal with the thing I just, I just had to deal with? Uh, and so I'm, I'm under there. I, I get the piece out. I have some people come up and help me, uh, Austin. And my dad came up and, and to help me, and we got the piece out. And I, I called the police. And as, I, as I'm waiting for the cops to come, because I want to make a police report, so I give it to my insurance, all that kind of like adult stuff you got to do. I'm waiting for them, and I'm looking up parts, and someone's like, oh, the part's only 70 bucks. I'm like, oh, great. Well, man, I'll learn to TIG weld and put this thing on for 70 bucks if that's all it. No, the part is not $70. That's the part for the bag. The part that I need is $1,500, I find, as I'm researching. And I don't know if you noticed it. It's not super easy to get stuff right now. Yeah, there we go. There's that part. And so I'm like, well, you know what? It doesn't matter because insurance is going to cover it. So then the police come, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is happening all the time. Someone is sitting on just a pile of these, and they're, they're scrapping them for a lot of money. They're scrapping them. I guess, I don't know. It's happening a lot in Arizona, so I don't know. Hydrocatalytic converters, however you can, I guess. Team no saws all. Uh, and so she gives me the police report. I go home, and I, I submit it on the app because you can't talk to a live person anymore. I submit it on the app to GEICO. And, I, and I'm, like, researching it, like, oh, my gosh, I got to pay that deductible, right? You know, you got that deductible that you're like, well, I mean, if the car gets totaled, then I'll pay this deductible. So I got that kind of deductible. And uh, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, <laughs> the deductible is going to get me hard on this. Then I get the message back from Geico, and they're like, just so you know, uh, we're not going to pay for this because your thing doesn't cover theft, and this is theft. Because apparently four or five years ago when you got insurance, you didn't click some box on the app, and uh, now this is not covered. And so in that moment, I felt a feeling that I could best describe as fury, but secondarily describe as anxiety, right? <laughs> it's that awesome mix of frustration and anxiety, you know, that delicious cocktail that just rattles around in your guts and makes you like, you're like mad and sad and then also upset, but like not at anybody, just like yelling at the sky in your backyard. Like that's, that's what I was doing. And uh, I felt that overwhelming sense of anxiety, and it was kind of just uh, 
and in a dark way, humorous, because I had just preached about the goodness of God transcending all cir circumstances. And here I am at my house, and I'm like legitimately pissed, and I'm frustrated. And how many of you know when one thing gets you, all of a sudden you start getting mad at a bunch of other things that weren't really big deals, but now they're huge deals. Like that oven that squeaks when you close, you're like, I'm going to burn this house to the ground. If it's like, right, you're just like, you've lost it. Nothing works. Like, don't turn on the TV. I don't want to see. I don't want to see the Huskies playing because that's just going to make me mad. Like, don't show me anything, right? Like, I, I was just frustrated, and then I had to stop. I had to stop. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Remember I said last week this series is about taking a deep breath with the Lord. Take a deep breath. I said, okay. I'm still really bummed about this. I was kind of bummed all week, if I'm going to be honest. Still bummed. I said, I'm still bummed about this. But I'm tired, one. I'm tired. And I know that all these other things I'm complaining about I actually do really love. And I am very thankful for. And Katie will attest, I had a moment after my four-hour-long pity party. I had a moment. I'm just, I'm being real. I'm a real person, y'all. <laughs> I love that truck. It's old, but it's like, I'm connected to it. I don't know what it is. It's special. So I had my pity party, and then I just was like, hey. I was like, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the church I get to pastor. I'm thankful for the people that are committed to loving one another. I'm thankful for the people that do the hard work, that get down into the nitty-gritty. I'm not going to get upset at the people that won't. I'm not going to get frustrated at things in my life that aren't clicking. I'm not going to get frustrated at these things. I'm not going to dwell on these things. What I am going to do is say, God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for our team. I'm thankful for our pastoral staff at this church. Man, I'm so thankful for the people that serve, paid or unpaid, at this church. Like crazy to make this an incredible place to be. I'm thankful for you, Lord. I'm thankful. And trying to shift my heart. And it's funny, then Tuesday, I ran my messages on Tuesday. So Tuesday, I opened up, you know, I, we planned out the whole series. I planned out the whole series ahead of time. So I'm like, great, week two. And, and I go, actually, this was Monday. I kind of start getting my heart set on it uh, again and getting ready for it again. And so I start pulling out the big themes that I had laid out for this week, kind of in this mindset of trying to choose to be thankful. And the big theme for this, for this week was how can we be thankful when we actually feel anxious? I always write questions, they inspire thoughts. So the question I had written to begin to ponder upon in Scripture is, how can we be thankful when we actually feel anxious? See, today I want to talk about how does thankfulness help us with anxiety? That anxiety of like, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to make it? What does the future hold? Will this happen? Will I be enough? Will this work? The anxiety that we face, we've all faced anxiety in some way, shape, or form We've all felt, probably even today, a little bit anxious, some of you. But I truly believe that the thankfulness in God is the antidote to anxiety. And so this morning, I want to preach a sermon to you that I've just titled in my uh, notes. If you have notes, you can write this down. The antidote. Somebody say antidote. The antidote to anxiety. Someone say anxiety. As we bring our concerns to God with a heart that is for God, He will give us peace. Let's pray this morning. We're going to jump into the Word together. Lord God, we thank You that Your Word is alive and active. Holy Spirit, we thank You that You dwell with us here today. And I pray that as we walk through this moment and we begin to release our anxieties to You, I pray peace upon this place in the name of Jesus. We thank You, Lord, that You're moving. In Your name, amen. 
Well, I want to jump it, uh, today to Philippians 4, verse 4. So if you brought your Bible, open up with me to Philippians 4, verse 4. And we're going to look at a small portion of Scripture here at the end of Philippians that is actually packed with a ton of great uh, information, specifically about anxiety and about thankfulness. If you didn't bring your Bible, we got the words on the screen, but I want to jump into it here today. It says this, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. See, I read this like right after I got robbed. I was like, man, always? <laughs> like even when I find this guy? Like, yep, always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It says let your reasonableness, yours might say gentleness. We'll talk about that. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Yours might say petition. I'm reading from the ESV. With supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A lot in there, right? This is the end of the book of Philippians. Now, Philippians was a letter being written to the church of Philippi, to the people, the Philippians. And Paul is speaking to them, and uh, really from a unique situation to a unique situation. He's speaking to them from prison, speaking to them in their suffering. So it's kind of a unique action that's happening. And it's especially unique, we did a whole series on the book of Philippians, but it's especially unique when you consider this book is considered the joy book. It talks about joy constantly. Guy in prison talking to people in suffering, and you know, the major theme he made it was joy. A bold, bold move. <laughs> but Paul was pretty incredible, and he deeply loved the Lord, and obviously he knew something key. The best place to speak peace is in the situations where peace is lacking. I don't care how efficient you are at making rhythms of life. I don't care how effective you are at organizing yourself and your future and making plans. There will be situations in life. There will be troubles that interrupt the flow of peace in your life. But he begins to speak to it, and he starts in verse 4. Let, let's just kind of go maybe verse by verse this morning. Can we do that? Okay, so let's start in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord Always. And then look at that. Again, I will say rejoice. He said it twice. Parents. I don't know if there's any parents in here. But I do this to my kids. Don't make me say it again. And then what do I do? Have to immediately say it again. And then a third time and a fourth time. I can't even tell you how many times my parents are like, don't, I'm not, I'm not going to say it again. Don't make me say it again. And I'm thinking in my brain like, you're probably going to have to say it again. <laughs> right? But there's something about emphasis uh, in Scripture, when you see it, sometimes you'll see like the same word twice almost. And they're emphasizing something. They're, it's saying pay attention to something. Can I just encourage you, if Scripture says it twice, we should probably pay attention, right? If the Lord is like, hey, right? I mean, if you got a letter, let's say it wasn't from Paul, it was like from your grandma. It was like, it was like call your grandmother again, I say, call your grandmother or whoever it is. You'd be like, I probably need to call grandma, right? <laughs> like... Yes, exactly. Like, you know, you know what's up. You got a little note on your door as a kid, like, clean the bathroom, Johnny. Again, I say, clean the bathroom. There's an expectation. Whoever wrote that note gets home, that bathroom better be clean, right? There's an expectation in this letter. He says, rejoice in the Lord, in the Lord. 
When? Always. Sometimes? When your car is working? No, always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is a powerful statement, especially from somebody in prison. Rejoice in the Lord at all times. Their joy was to be in God at all times. Their joy was not to be in their circumstances. Their joy was not to be in their situation. Their joy wasn't to be in how people treated them. Their joy wasn't to be in how they felt. Their joy wasn't to be in their finances, though these are all good things. Relationships, finances, people we love, you know, living in peaceful times, all good things. But their joy was not to be in that. What was it to be in? It was to be in God at all times. And I love that it's Paul speaking, because you might get away with, like me, like if I said this, thing, well, maybe you haven't lived enough, and maybe you don't know what I'm going through, and it's hard to have. But I, I'm just saying Paul's saying, and Paul knows suffering, right? Paul had been to prison. Paul had been beaten. Paul had been attacked. Paul had been beaten to death. Okay, you've seen some stuff if you've been beaten to death and come back to life, right? Like you have some street cred if you get beaten to death and come back to life, right? Paul had been cast off. Paul had been cast aside. Paul had been cast down. Paul had even been cast away, just not with the volleyball. But he had been on the ship. He'd been crashed on the shore, right? Paul had seen it, done it, knows it, and Paul learned something powerful in his circumstances. In Paul's own circumstances, he learned a truth about the joy of the Lord. And it's that no situation is beyond God's help. See, as believers... Sometimes you're like, what can I rejoice in right now in my circumstance? Where could I possibly find joy? Every believer, even in the darkest prison like Paul, every believer can rejoice in at least one thing, and that it is there is always hope in the Lord. There is always hope in the Lord. No situation is beyond His help. We can always rejoice in that truth that no family is too far gone. No child is too lost. No person is too sick. Are you hearing me this morning? No bill is too great. No addiction is too strong for our God. There is always saying rejoice. Rejoice in what? Rejoice in the fact that the God who does the impossible is always working, moving, present. He is always there. He is not overcome. Paul is Encouraging them, saying, rejoice in the Lord. And so he goes to Philippians 4, verse 5. I really like this verse. It's really unique. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let me read that again. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, your scripture might say gentleness. But I, I like what he's saying here, right? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. He's saying, be reasonable publicly. <laughs> that should have been the unofficial cry of 2020. Like, be reasonable and make sure, like, in a way that, like, everyone knows you're being reasonable. Like, be reasonable. And, and I like the word reasonable that the ESV words uh, uses because lenience or goodness, I, I feel like, doesn't really capture it. And that is the hard time anytime you're translating from one language into the next, is the translator has to kind of pick a word that works the best if there's not like a direct word for that in your language. So in English, we actually don't have a direct word for this. 
So there's a little bit of interpretive uh, choice that's occurring here. Now, it's by consensus, it's by committee, so they get it really close. I think reasonableness is kind of close. But the word that's actually here is this compound word into one, epi, ekes. So let's say this together. Epi, someone say it. Oh, come on, Pentecostals, come on. Epi, there we go, ekes. And then we'll say it together, epi ekes. One more time, epi ekes. There we go, there we go. Now you know basically all of Greek. No, I'm saying just that one word and, you know, I don't, I'm hope I'm teaching it to you right. I spent a lot of time making sure I try to get the pronunciation. <laughs> but the idea in the Greek of this word is gentleness with a sense of selflessness. So reasonableness is close. Gentleness is kind of close. But the compound idea here, which would be hard to translate, like the Bible would be so long if you were like super literal and everything. And so it's gentleness with a sense of sen selflessness. He's saying, hey, be gentle and selfless in a way that everyone can see it. I love this qu a quote I heard is, um, it is that considerate courtesy and respect for the integrity of others which prompts a man not to be for ever standing on his rights, and it is preeminently the character of Jesus. It's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 10.1. You're like, what does this have to do with anxiety? Trust me, we'll get there because Paul is setting it up. These parts of the letters don't live isolated. They're part of the whole letter. They're part of all of Scripture. They're part of the whole Bible, right? 2 Corinthians 10.1, Paul says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humbled when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. Those two words, gentleness, or uh, meekness and gentleness, is actually gentleness, and then another term, gentle clemency. Clemency, that's a weird word. Somebody's got to have named their kid that at some point. <laughs> but clemency, clemency is this specific lenience, which is why some scriptures will say lenience, a specific lenience shown to offenders by someone who is charged with instead administering justice. But they choose lenience. So Paul is putting out the sense of, of fairness, not in the term that maybe we understand it now, but the sense of, uh, of clemency, the sense of mercy, the sense of selflessness, the sense of gentleness. And all throughout Scripture, we can look in Titus or Timothy, where Paul writes this, he, he uh, encourages leaders, Christian leaders, Christian elders to have this character. But then he also says this should be the visually apparent character of the whole church, that the whole church might be seen as reasonable. Amen. <laughs> and that is his call. And he says, listen, this idea of gentleness with selflessness is important because, and he tags on here, the Lord is at hand. It's an interesting tag. The Lord is at hand. What does he mean? Well, it's, a, it's two things. One, it's a reminder that God will come as a judge expecting to see this quality in his people. And two, having personified the quality himself, he will clearly know what it looks like. <laughs> you can't BS God. He knows. He is it, right? I said at first, I was like, I love steak. If you bring me a steak, I will thank you. If you bring me the, like, fake meat that looks like steak, I will still thank you because I'll eat anything. <laughs> no, no problem. And I'll just be thankful you made me food. But I'll know it's not a steak. You'd be like, not the way I cook it. I'll know. Trust me. I'll know. 
I'll know. I'll be like, hmm, this tastes a lot like beans. <laughs> right? I'll know. I've had every version. Trust me. I've been to foreign countries and had it. I've had it here. I've had it for $50. I've had it for $5. Trust me. I'll know. And God will know. <laughs> but the same is true as his people, right? See, Jesus never imagined a church where his people were not loving each other, serving each other, building each other up. And so when he comes back, I just hope we know he expects to see that, right? I don't know if he's going to care too much about the shape of this building, though we use the shape to fulfill the mission. But he's really going to care about the shape of our hearts. He's really going to care about what we're doing, what we're valuing. He'd be like, no, no, Jesus, I was there. And he'd be like, no, no, I literally embody this characteristic. You can't mess with me. I know what's true and not true. Jesus is the ultimate two truths and a lie champion, right? He knows. <laughs> he knows. He knows. And so Paul is kind of giving this command saying, listen, set your heart upon the Lord and come from this perspective of seeking him and come from this heart that, that seeks him, understanding that, yes, you're facing trials. And so it, there's kind of this unofficial tag as we move into uh, verse 6 because he shifts almost in his thought even though it's it's the mid middle of the thought here it's almost like he's saying with this in mind right kind of like it's like this whole preface and like given all this now this right it's a good setup paul paul knew what he was doing right He's saying, given your tough circumstances with the understanding that we can always rejoice in God in every season and recognizing the call to be people who are completely embodying this idea of gentleness and selflessness, not flying off the handle, not fighting each other, not advocating solely for yourself. Given all that, walking out in faith with Jesus Christ, he gets to verse 6. Everyone's still with me? Good. Okay, verse 6, he says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Look at that first part. Do not be anxious about anything. I think I changed my mind about what should have been the unofficial cry of 2020. Do not be anxious. Did you know we live in an anxious culture? Like, not even locally, globally, people are anxious. Just in this country, did you know anxiety disorders are the most prevalent mental disorders? Diagnosed, there are 40 million. That's a lot. Yet, you know, I find interesting, of those 40 million who have stated, believed, who, who have said, like, I have this disorder, they're only 36% of them seek treatment for overcoming or moving out of that disorder. I was reading a study uh, lately about, because I, I, I like to research all kinds of things, but I was reading about climate change anxiety. It came up, and I'm like, this is interesting. Climate change anxiety. They said, never before has a generation been so anxious about climate change. I'm not here to talk about climate change. I'm here to talk about anxiety. So I think we should pay attention to what people are feeling. Right now, they did a study of 10,000 young people from the age of 16 to 25 across 10 countries. So not just America, 10 countries. Found that 75% admitted to having strong anxiety about the future. Strong anxiety about the future. And they found that of those 10,000 polled, 56% said they believed that mankind was doomed. 
What? Doomed. Like the word doomed, guys. When was the last time you heard someone say doomed, right, that wasn't in a movie? Mankind is doomed. Okay, I, I don't care where you fall on any of this, but I think we got to recognize that a huge portion of the population is living anxiously. You're like, it's because of this, because of this, because of this. I think it's because of all of it. I'm one of those weird people that thinks we should take care of the earth and we're doing a bad job out of it, but I also don't think that the government's always the answer. I don't live anywhere in this weird spectrum. I love to grow food. I think you should be water secure and food secure. And I also, you know, have guns. <laughs> I don't know, like, where the, where the boundary is, like, I don't fit in anywhere. Cool. Like, great. <laughs> uh, hang out with the hippies, and they're like, oh, you're a pastor? I don't know about you. Then I hang out over here. They're like, wait, 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 wait. Like, conserve water? I don't know, right? So I live somewhere in this nebulous void. Come, join me. <laughs> we have vegetables. Uh, <laughs> But what I do recognize, though, you know, though I, I'm laughing and all these things, is that people are anxious. People are stressed. Young people, anxious, stressed, worried, worried about the future. And can I say, like, for good reason? Like, I, I think for, there's some good reasons. If you're anxious about the future, I'm not here to make fun of you. I'm here to say, I totally understand why you're anxious about the future. If you look at the way the world, the country, the earth is being run, I don't blame you for being anxious. I see it, right? Everybody in here is like, I see, yes. But I just want to hear you say, like, that profoundly human experience you're having of feeling anxious, uh, people have been having that since the beginning of time. People have been anxious since the dawn of time. People have worried about what they will eat. People have worried about where they will sleep. People have worried about who they will marry. People have worried about what will happen on this earth that we live in. People have worried about wars and conflict. People have worried about the future. People from the beginning of time have worried. They have felt anxious. They have gone to bed late thinking about the ceiling fan ticking above their head and all the problems in the world and all the things and all the mindsets. They've been anxious. But what I love is that our Savior Jesus Christ addressed the very issue of anxiety, not to attack our anxiety, but to give us hope to overcome anxiety through Him. Matthew 6, 25 says this. I'm just going to read it to you. You don't got to flip their words to be on the screen. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the airs of the bir or the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious, look at this, which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? We know by science, you're just taking them off. You're not adding them when you're anxious. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. It says this, verse 33, if you've phased out at any moment, jump back in right now with us mentally. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, 
and all these things will be added to you. Verse 34, one of my favorite verses, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Some of you would break out of anxiety disorder purely by not worrying about tomorrow. Like, don't, I love the way he phrases that too. Sufficient is the day for its own troubles. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. It kind of almost like personifies it, like it's this being, right? It's like, don't worry about it. It's worrying ahead of time. You don't have to beat it to the punch, right? But Jesus, I mean, think about this. Thousands of years ago, Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's addressing the same issues that you and I feel anxiety about today. Talking about physical attributes, verse 27. He's talking about clothing. He's talking about provision. He's talking about food and drink, verse 31. And he's talking about the future, verse 34. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek him first to release the anxiety about the rest. Jesus said, seek me first. And what I love is Jesus isn't just like, don't be anxious. And neither did Paul, really. But on the surface, it might seem that way. But when you look at what he's saying, he's beginning to prescribe and begin to give direction about how to overcome anxiety. Just imagine um, with me for a second that you went into a therapist's office. Some of you might know what it looked like, some of you not. Uh, but maybe you went into a therapist's office and you're like, man, you know what? I'm struggling with anxiety. And so you went to your therapist and you're like, I'm really struggling with anxiety. And the therapist said, okay, great, don't. Be like, this is the worst therapist I've ever been to. <laughs> like, oh, good, just don't. Right? Paul, do not be anxious. Like, okay, thanks, Paul, great. <laughs> right? That would lead, what you would expect, what you should expect, is for them to say, like, let me begin to prescribe to you a direction, a discipline, a thing, to begin to guide your heart in moving towards health. And I love that Jesus does that. I love that Paul does that. He doesn't just say, don't be anxious, end of Philippians. Right? What does he say? Verse 6, go back to that if you, if you have it, Philippians 4, verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We deal with anxiety and thankfulness today. If you're taking notes, I just want you to write this down. Our response to anxiety is prayer. Our response to anxiety is prayer. Feeling anxious, prayer. It is crazy how much we overcomplicate this relationship with the Lord. Feeling anxious, pray. I want to say something and then explain it because I try to be really careful. Anytime we talk about something that has to do with mental health, I know it's a very important topic. My mom was a therapist. She was sitting in the front row the whole first uh, service judging me to make sure I said things right about mental health. Um, <laughs> no, she's, she's a saint. She wouldn't do that. I mean, maybe. But I want to be really careful, but, but I want to explain this. I want to say this and explain it. Anxiety is a feeling. It is not a way of life. Let me explain. People... We, we play games with feelings and words, and it gets us stuck into places we were not created to be. People say, I am, I am feeling this way, so it is true about me. And I want to say, in some ways yes, in some ways no. It is true that you are feeling that way. I recognize and validate that you are experiencing those emotions and those feelings based on maybe something you've done, something that's been done to you, or you're just feeling that way. You woke up feeling that way. We recognize the human experience of feeling feelings, right? 
They're real. They are truly yours. We validate and recognize that you are feeling a feeling. But just because you are feeling it does not make it true of the world around you or the God above you. Just because it's true of your feeling, I am feeling anxious I am feeling angry. I am feeling like there is no hope does not mean that it is actually hopeless. Just because it's true of your feeling doesn't mean it's true of the Lord God. Let me give you an example. I feel like God has left me. Well, Scripture says he will never leave you or forsake you. We know that God is with you. So it is true that you are feeling dry, you're feeling exhausted, you're feeling alone, you're feeling frustrated, and it's important to recognize, not hide, not disguise, not forget, not power through, but to say, I am legitimately feeling this way, and yet God is with me, God is for me, God cares about me. The hard part is we have begun to create an idea identity of anxiety over our life because we claim it over our life. And though that feeling of anxiety is very real, hear me, some of you today, you're facing a very real anxiety in your life, or you have anxiety attacks, or you become overwhelmed with anxious thoughts. It's very real, but it is not greater than God. The lies that the enemy speaks to your heart do not cancel out the truth that God has declared over your life. Paul is saying, and, and I agree with him, Philippians, you are facing church, you are facing very real anxiety. I recognize those feelings. He recognized those worries. They are real. The worry of losing your home is real. The worry of losing your job, the worry of, of how you will navigate this world is very real. The worry about the future is real. I, I get that. You are facing real anxiety, but there is an antidote to anxiety through Jesus Christ. And the antidote is prayer. Anxiety, no matter how little, no matter how slowly you sip it, is poison. I don't care how slowly you drink bleach, it's still bad for you. But the antidote is prayer. Prayer cures anxiety. The very fact that when I say that, some of you are just like, no, it can't says how much of a hole we've been begun to give anxiety, a personified identity for this feeling in our life. Hear me. According to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus, prayer cures anxiety. Here, we, you got to hear me again, church. We have given way too much power, way too much power to the, to the strugglings and the darkness of our minds that the enemy comes in and whispers. And all of a sudden, because we're having this human experience of worry and anxiety, we begin to say, well, that must be true of God. Listen, I want to tell you, I, I encourage people at the Waves Conference, stop trying to bring God down to your eye level to look at your circumstances and begin to lift your eyes to God's level to see your circumstances. Allow the God of all power and all authority and all great love for you to bring peace into your life. The antidote is prayer. What kind of prayer? Well, Paul kind of describes this prayerful life. It's a life of prayer. It's not like just praying here. It's a life of prayer. He gives us three words. Prayer. Now, my Bible says the second one is supplication. Yours might say petition. Same, similar idea. Petition. And then requests. 
Prayer denotes an attitude that's worshipful. Petition indicates that prayers are an expression specifically of need, and request is pretty straightforward. Refers to things being asked for. God cares about what you need. God cares about what you want. I know we say, like, God's not Santa. Don't just come and ask him for things. Agreed. But he also does want you to ask him. Right? He wants you to bring, his, bring your needs. You know why? Because nobody loves you more than him. Nobody cares for those things more than him. But the central word of all this is prayer. When we pray, anxiety is loosed. It says, in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. How do we pray? We pray with thanksgiving. That's unique. For the first time someone explained that to me, I was, I was confused. With, I pray with thanksgiving, so just like happy thoughts. I'm grateful for things. No, it is an attitude and posture of thanksgiving. See, an attitude and posture of thanksgiving and prayer is a crucial ingredient in the antidote of anxiety. If you're mixing up, like, a, I don't know, maybe in a pot. I don't know how they make antidotes now. Probably in a lab. But we'll just say for the sake of hand gestures, it's in a pot. And if you were mixing it up, a crucial ingredient, the formational ingredient, like if you were making a dip, it would have to be mayonnaise because apparently all dips are made of mayonnaise. The crucial ingredient in the antidote to anxiety is thankfulness. See, it isn't just prayer. It's rooted in being thankful for God and then bringing your concerns to God. I love that because it takes our eyes off of our finite nature and puts them on His infinite nature. It takes our eyes off our power and looks to His power. It takes our eyes off of our ability and our authority and our wisdom and puts it onto His. It takes it off of the brutality even of our situation and puts it on the beauty of the Lord God. And so we come before Him with this understanding that nothing is impossible through Him. We come and we begin with this mindset that is so radically different. We're thankful that nothing is impossible with God. We're thankful for who he is. We're thankful for what he's done. We're thankful for his goodness. We come and we say, God, we thank you first and foremost. We seek you above all things. And we ask, God, would you hear our request? And then it was so awesome. Guys, listen. He could expect that and give us nothing in return. This is all powerful. But we serve a God of love. And so there's a relationship here. See, our response to anxiety is prayer. But God's response to prayers of thanksgiving is peace. Hear me. God's response to prayers of thanksgiving is to give peace. Verse 7, the last of those verses that we read in Philippians 4, 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What an amazing response. Can we just be happy about something for a second? I know there's a lot of craziness in the world. I know you're probably going to run out to some crazy things going on today. I know you probably got some stressors. Me too. I'm with you, right? When I leave here, I'm just, yeah, we all got stuff going on. But I just want to pause and say, like, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> right? That his response, like, what, I don't know what this trade is for him. That's how you know someone loves you when they take this trade. It's like, I'm going to give you, like, if you were trading baseball cards, like Ken Griffey, and you're going to give me A-Rod, right? Bad trade, right? <laughs> It's like, I'm going to give you, Lord, all of my anxiety and thankfulness, and you're going to give me divine peace. It's like, I win. <laughs> like, I get the thing. But that's not what it is. It's that you are his child. You are in relationship with him, and he cares for you. Paul tells us three things about this peace, and you'll see him in here. 
says, the peace that God surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. Look at these three. The peace that God gives, it is the peace of God. If you're taking notes, write that down. It is the peace of God. It is divine peace, if you'd rather write that. It is divine. It is not based off our circumstances. Its worth, its value, its potency, its power is not found in my situation. When I go out to my car, and I'm frustrated, and I'm angry, I'm not like looking around underneath the undercarriage for some peace. Like, hope I find it here. When I go home, I don't dig through my bank account to find some peace. You know where I find the peace that, that, that goes above, that is the greatest, is the peace of God that comes from Him. How many of you have been in a situation this year where no substitute peace was going to do it for you? You were not going to get diet peace. You needed peace classic. You needed the full thing. You needed that steak, not that fake stuff. You needed the real stuff, the real good stuff. That is the divine peace of God. It is not dictated by our circumstances. It's worth value, potency, and power is not up to us. It is up to God. And it's a characteristic of God. Did you know that God is peace? He brings peace. But Paul not only says it's the peace of God, he says, which surpasses all understanding. The second thing about peace, it transcends all understanding. It transcends, hear me, all understanding. Goes above and beyond. It surpasses it. Philippians 3.8, Paul uses a similar word. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. I love the way that Paul writes in Scripture. And I love how Paul contrasts this idea of peace and knowledge and how peace excels over knowledge, the peace of God. Now, Paul is not saying that knowledge is not important, right? Because Paul talks about knowing quite often, right? Scripture, we talked last week, know that he is God. Right? Have the knowledge and understanding that God is with you. God is pro-knowledge and wisdom. That's why one of the gifts of the Spirit, now I know tongues and prophecy, those are the fancy-dancy ones, but wisdom is a great one. <laughs> right? Wisdom is a great one. But what Paul knows is there are situations where knowledge is insufficient. And gaining more knowledge is not going to gain you more peace. That is probably highlighted the most by the more news you watch and the more you learn in the news, the less peace you feel. I have yet to meet somebody who's like, yeah, man, I spent eight hours researching tragedies around the world, and now that I know more about what's happening in Myanmar or Tigray, Nigeria, or Lebanon, I just feel such a peace, right? I feel so at peace. I was watching the news today, and I got to say, given everything they've said about the country, I feel great. I feel like, <laughs> I feel so peaceful, right? I don't care how you voted. I don't care where you stand. There is not a chance. That you're like, oh, I feel so peaceful. Knowledge is so crucial. Knowledge is important. Wisdom is important. But Paul's recognizing something very, very important. That sometimes what we need is something that surpasses knowledge, surpasses what we see, surpasses what we know. I am seeing this great tragedy. I need something that is greater than just what I'm seeing with my eyes. Greater than just something that I'm knowing with my mind. I need something that resides within me, the peace of God. There are situations where knowledge is insufficient, and yet peace is always appropriate to meet the needs of your heart. Always appropriate. It's like even if you're full of other, it's like, oh, peace, perfect. That's exactly what I needed. The third thing, and Ben, you can come up, that he tells us about peace. It's one of my favorite things. He says, it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I got this yellow lab, 
and uh, I really love her, and there's many things I love about her. The fact that she gets really excited is not one of them. Um, <laughs> but the other one that I've, I've I found interesting is I've never had a dog that cared if you came, if someone strange came to the door. Like, I've never had a really deeply, deeply, deeply protective dog, except my dog protected my my old dog protected my daughter one time, but it happened to be from my father-in-law, so that was a net loss. Um, <laughs> but you're like, no, different scenario. But this dog loves to, like, guard our, stand guard over our house. So if you go by our house, she's looking out the window. She's on guard. She's not letting you come near these kids unless she's asleep or, you know, she knows you. She's on guard. And she, she will be literally dead asleep. She'll hear, like, footsteps on the sidewalk. Boom, she's up. She's guarding. This idea of the peace of God will guard your hearts and mind. It is very vigilant. It's a military term. And they would set guards around. What do you want a guard to do? You want a guard to stand guard and be there to make sure that nothing comes in and comes against. It's not supposed to be. I love that. See, when we're living a life of thankful prayer, the peace of God is active in our own hearts and minds. And all of a sudden, it the peace of God, because of who God is, begins to guard our mind. This is why after this scripture, after this portion, you can go read it yourself. He says, whatever is good, whatever is holy, whatever is true, focus on those things. Be a part of guarding your own heart. But I love this idea that the peace of God stands on duty to keep out anything that would bring anxiety into your mind. This is why prayerful people are peaceful people. Not because they're monks. It's not because they've separated themselves. You can be a peaceful, prayerful person in the heart of the busiest city on earth. I know. I was in Bangkok and found some, and it blew my mind. But it's because their heart and mind is being guarded by the peace of Christ. Some of you today, you're struggling with anxiety, and you've tried things. You've tried talks, and you've tried all, all kinds of things that, that you can do. But you need the peace of God to be guarding your heart and mind to be interceding for you. You need the Holy Spirit to free you. See, this message, like I said from the very beginning, it is not about ignoring stress. It's not about pushing through anxiety. It's not about getting over it. I'm a big fan of having grit. But this is not about leveling up out of worry. There's no, it's not levels. Paul is saying, when you are anxious, come to the Lord. But as you come before him, come with a heart that is thankful for him. Because if you come to the Lord with your prayer and petition, but you're like, I don't really believe that you're good. I don't really believe that you can move. I don't really believe that you're faithful. That's going to be a weird talk. He's saying, come with a heart that believes, God, you are good. Thank you, God, that you are faithful. And sometimes we need to come and begin to praise him and begin to rejoice in him to turn our heart. He says, bring that request with an attitude that says, God, you are in control. God, I love you. God, I trust you. God, this is for you. And can I tell you, I just want to, I'm going to give you an insurance policy. The more you surrender to God, the more he will lift up your heart. Thankful, prayerful people are peaceful people. They're peaceful people in the word. They're peaceful people today. And you know what I love? I love this. That there's not like a day, like, okay, Thursday, Thursday, that's the day that we're going to get the peace of God. <laughs> so we're going to have thankful Thursday. Everyone wait till Thursday, and then the peace of God's going to come. No, this is what's so awesome. Today, right now, through prayer, the peace of God is available. Not later, not at another service. You don't even got to come back today. 
right? Right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the peace of Jesus Christ is available to every person. If you would take that petition, that anxiety, and you would bring it before Him with thankfulness in your heart. Say, God, I love you. I trust you. I give it to you. Can I tell you, that's why we have the altar. It's not to be fancy. It's not to make me feel good. It's because there, it's important to have a place where you symbolically bring the chains of your anxiety and you lay them down. And guess what? You do not leave with them. God, I give this to you. I love you. I trust you. And I leave without it. So when the enemy comes during the week and tries to put them back on me, I say, no, 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 no. I've already given those to God. No backsies. <laughs> those are not coming back on me. I left them. I leave them. They're there. Would you stand with me today? Before the band leads us, before we open up the altar, and I really do want to encourage you, I know God will meet you at your seat, and God will do a great work in your life, but there's something about stepping out where we want, we want to pray with you and stand alongside you, because we do actually love and care for you here. But I want to invite you, before we do all that, just to bow your head and close your eyes. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Some of you today, you have never come to Jesus. You've never said, Jesus, I, I give you my life. I choose to follow you. I need you as my Lord and Savior. And so today, I want to give you that moment. Scripture said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And so what we do is we take all of our sin that Christ came to die for, we take our heart and we say, God, I lay it at your feet. I surrender. I need you as my Lord and Savior, and I choose to follow you with my life. And we believe here at Banner Church that for every person, through Jesus Christ, there is hope for every future and healing for every past. So if that's you today and you've never made that choice, or maybe you made that choice a long time and you're saying, Jesus, I'm coming back to you. I want to pray for you today. So this is you and Jesus. Every eye closed, every head bowed. You and Jesus, a decision this morning. If you're choosing to follow, we're choosing to follow him again and saying, God, my heart is for you. I want to pray over you. Would you just lift your hand and put it back down? If you're in person or online, lift that hand and put it back down. Thank you. I want to pray for you this morning. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that your mercies are new every day. I thank you that if anyone is in you, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So, Lord, as we surrender our heart to you and say, Jesus, I choose to follow you. I repent of all the sin and shame in my heart of my life. I give it to you. I thank you, Jesus, that you invite us into the resurrection and the life. And I thank you that our heart is with you, not only now in a relationship on this earth, but for eternity. The second thing this morning before the band starts. So if you're in this place and you're saying today, man, I, I want to release anxiety. I've been struggling with anxiety. Or you're like, you have somebody that God has just really been placing on your heart that you know has been ravaged by anxiety. I'm going to invite you very clearly, very simply, in just a moment when the band plays, to come forward and to lay that at the altar and invite God with a thankful heart. Invite God to move upon it. Let me pray for you and then I'll invite you. Lord, you see us. You know us. We thank you that those who look to you, their faces are never covered with shame. They are radiant. And so I pray this morning, God, as we lay these down, 
whether here at the altar or wherever we are this morning, I pray, Lord, for a release of anxiety by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. I pray for a release of worry, a release of fear. We say thank you, God, that you are God. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us in Jesus' mighty name. I just want to invite you, come now, lay that at the feet of the cross, and let's worship together this morning.